start. Perfect. Let's give it a couple seconds for people to process through. And as the attendees come in, they can enjoy my T-Mobile IoT shirt. <laughs> you got to send me some some once merch, and then I'd be better prepared for this. Just after funding, that's the first thing we bought. Exactly. Merch is important. Lightshed has not done a great job at developing their merch portfolio, but we're, we're hoping to do that. Good. That means uh, if I give you once t-shirts, you'll wear them. That's good. 100%. Yeah. 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 For our next, for our next Lightshed Live. Okay. So wait, welcome to our uh, latest edition of Lightshed Live. My name is uh, Walt Pisek, and, and I'm here with uh, Ivo Rook, who has a long history in IoT. Um, you know, most recently we all know him, I think from um, the his role at Sprint, but prior to that, obviously a long, longer history at Vodafone and BT before that, really understanding the enterprise uh, and being head of IoT, uh, I believe it, at Vodafone. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in that, but <laughs> so, and now uh, as COO and president of Once, an interesting a uh, new company, I guess, relatively new since being uh, been around since 2017 with investments from Deutsche Telekom, I believe also uh, SoftBanks. Um, Alex Satter was the uh, was the founder and still CEO um, who we've talked to uh, before, but I thought it was interesting, um, you know, given Evo's background within T-Mobile and, and, the, and you know, in the financial world um, for us to have a little chat. So, why don't, you, why don't you start out, I guess, first, why did you decide to take on this operational uh, role at once? What was what was compelling about the space or the company? So, well, first of all, thanks. I mean, it's great to be here and to discuss. And I've always enjoyed my discussions with you because you have a very fresh view uh, on, on the technology market that we sometimes forget that it's not just about technology. But uh, listen, I spent a year in the investment side. And we decided to invest in once. And the reason for that is, is actually relatively simple. There's this investment thesis. What we are seeing is that IoT is a very large marketplace growing at a fast pace. We'll talk about that later. But what's more important is that we see that what was happening in the messaging world, what has happened in the unified comms world, is about to happen in IoT. Let me just explain it very briefly. Messaging was invented by operators and then businesses said, that's a great invention, but that means I need to turn it into an application. It needs to work worldwide and therefore it can't be network specific. It needs to be an application. So the, the winners of the messaging world are companies like Twilio and WhatsApp. Unified comms, great invention by operators deep integration of networks, handover between Wi-Fi and cellular, wireline, it was real operator space. Until the businesses said, that's actually a great invention. We want more of this, but then it needs to be an application. It needs to work everywhere in the world in the same way. And here we are on a Zoom call. And yep. this exact phenomenon is about to happen again in IoT. IoT, invention by operators, thanks, great. I worked for operators all my life. And now it is becoming mature. It is becoming an application. And therefore, it needs to be all across the world in the same way. 
And therefore, we believe OTT players, such as ONCE, have great cards to be writing the next chapter. Is part of that optimism um, partly driven by a lot of the developments that's happening and the growth that's happening at, at Amazon with AWS? I mean, I was at reInvent um, a week or two ago, and it seems like this is the common thematic that you're hearing, that there's this optimism about being able to develop on top of an open platform and being an application, just what you described. And everyone always references Twilio as, as kind of their, their example. How important have they been um, to enable this next leg of growth in IoT? Well, they're, they're important for us in three critical parts of the business. First of all, they have a tremendous technology team with whom we have great pleasure since the very beginning co-developing parts of our platform. Um, and in that perspective, they're just a tremendous supplier to us because our entire network runs on AWS, which gives us the ability to have our network in, the, in Europe. And when we decided to go to the US, we could immediately put our network there and we go to Asia, we do the same thing. So that works. Second of all, probably even more important, they help us distribute. And this is the whole thing is, is your technology is not just about technology. Technology is more often than not about distribution of your services. And our partnership with AWS, we are in their marketplace, has enabled us to reach an enormous public, B2B and developer. And it's difficult to be noticed in that area. And we actually today, we already win up to 300 customers a month, purely digitally. Quite honestly, if we me, me, when you say purely digitally, be, meaning because of the being in the Amazon platform, um, there are two ways to buy one services directly. One is on our own website through ones.com, and the other one is through the AWS marketplace. And they come in from both sides. And because we have a digital application, which is our product, the, the product essentially is the same. But honestly, AWS has taught and helped us enormously in the development of our relationship with um, uh, makers, so, uh, such as software developers, companies that build IoT solutions. They added to our credibility, to be frank, and they have basically entered us into the, the, the whole art of digital distribution. So that's, that's a very good thing. And then thirdly, Amazon is a customer and that helps as well, of course. So let, we'll, we'll come back to Amazon, obviously, in very important part, I think, to the story and to kind of the, the evolution of this space. But maybe let's just start with and level set us on the company, um, which was founded in, in, I think, late 2017 and kind of where it came from, why DT um, was this partner. Obviously, it's more than just a financial partner. They're, they're a critical network partner and just kind of, um, you know, how we got how you got to this point. Yeah, I mean, big, big credit to Alex and, and his team and the vision that he um, shared with Deutsche Telekom and, and also big credit to Deutsche Telekom who realized that they could not fulfill his vision inside an opera. Let me operate. Let me explain very simply why that is. Um, Alex basically said 70% of all IoT devices actually don't consume this massive tons of data. Yep. There are sensors deployed all around the world with very low data. Now, operators do not know how to handle this. Why is that? It's actually a cost issue. When you have a connection inside an operator, it costs an operator between five and six dollars per year just to manage that connection because of their- For account. the operator, why is that? 
Um, accounting, IT, billing, GNA, expensive right. OPEX. So this, so these, so if they have a low ARPU SIM for IoT, it ends up being a money loser if it's costing that much internally for them. So these are not. These are allocatable expenses. You would want, one would think in the investment community that maybe you've got these fixed costs and that adding these devices, you wouldn't have that cost. But that is not the case as you understand it. I mean, you were at Vodafone, so. You're right on the money. And actually, I think back a lot on my time in Vodafone and therefore I understand why once is such a powerful proposition. But you, you, you hit a few very important points and you said it very nicely. A low ARPU connection inside an operator is loss-making. Why? Because it's very little data and very high IT cost. One of the very big misconceptions in IoT is that the network costs are the most relevant. They aren't. It is the IT cost of having the complexity of managing millions of deployed devices around the globe, activation, deactivation, putting tariffs on it, updating firmware, and so on. That's an IT job. Now, the IT job to manage that connection inside an operator, five to six dollars per year, inside once, 50 cents per year. Why? Is that ultimately, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, but why is because we've developed everything in-house. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a massive vendor dependency. We've got 150 people today. Out of our workforce, more than 100 people are IoT software developers. We have a massive competence center in Riga where we're really proud of with brilliant software developers who built this. So we built this with cost inside our company. Most operators develop their IoT capabilities with external vendors. It's too expensive. It's nice when you connect a car with 50 to $60 ARPU, but if you do a connection, and that was the vision of Alex, that only brings you $1 per year in ARPU, mm -hmm. they can't handle that. But it's logic, huh? because operators have built their entire networks, IT infrastructure, billing and accounting with phones in the back of their mind. And yep. the yield of a phone is roughly $50 a month if you're in the US and $25 if you're in Europe. We do it for a dollar a year. Yeah, we, I mean, we hear we hear this time and time again with the companies that we're talking on the venture side of the business, but also just again in what AWS Telecom is doing um, in large part with with Dish. So, is your value proposition though that in that you're lowering that enterprise cost? Because when I think about the stuff that I've learned with Dish in AWS, it's less about the the lower you know total cost of ownership, although that's obviously a critical component. It's about developers having access to a network and tools in the network where a telecom operator was more restrictive. So where, where do you kind of land in the value proposition to, to the customers and the developers that will be working on your platform? Right on. Um, exactly that is what we do. What we deliver as once is an IT platform that allow developers and companies to manage the IoT connections. Yes, indeed, they are connected, but more importantly, they can configure their VPNs on the fly. They can change the routing of the traffic on the fly. They can change certificates. They can update uh, the devices. They can change the amount of data they use. And quite frankly, that's typically exactly the type of functionalities that classic operators lock down. 
Correct. And it's difficult to unlock once you've got it locked down. So is it that flexibility or that ability to program that is selling the product or that you see selling the product over the next three years? Or is it the fact that, look, our IT costs are so low and for 10 euro per year, um, I can give you this SIM and 500 uh, meg of data. What, what is more important, do you think, on the sales cycle? Um, the, the cost is, is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, we have many customers that can, first of all, because the way we do it, $10 for 10 years, uh, they can capitalize the connectivity. So previously, right, because you're just charging it up front as opposed to a service fee. So on their, on their, yeah, they can take it off the margin and capitalize it, right? Not to be underestimated, because most of our customers yep. sell digital services to their customers. So when you have a non-connected device, let's say it costs fifty bucks, and now suddenly you add ten bucks, ten dollar to the bill of material, and suddenly this device is connected for ten years without any additional operational complexity with your supplier, because you bought it, it will work for 10 years. Now suddenly this company can turn a non-connected device into a connected service based upon which they sell it to their customer. So previously 50 non-connected, now 60 connected, they can probably sell it for 100 and develop their own annuity models on the back of it. So this can only be done at the cost levels that we operate. So, so, very if I, so if I think so, if I think of IoT, you know, you've got three basic layers, and I'm sure there's sub layers to this. You've got the device, and as an investor, I think you're on the board of a company, which could be theoretically a low margin business, um, maybe not. Maybe there's some companies that are doing well there, um, and then you have connectivity, and then you have the application. So, are you playing basically primarily in everything that relates to connectivity, or is there other areas that you hope to get into? Well, but, but you're right on. It's it's interesting you bring it up. I one of the reasons that I'm on the board of an uh, of a chip company is the fact that it's very important for me to understand how the hardware industry works because I'd like to think it makes me a better provider in the connectivity space. I'm also on the board of an IoT solutions company. Why? Because this is the company that provides IoT solutions to. IoT companies that are building solutions. Mm -hmm. So there too, I'm like, okay, if I understand the hardware world really well, and if I understand the application world really well, that makes me a more meaningful provider in the middle for the connectivity. But isn't so. your whole goal in life in, at once to, to say like, okay, there, sh there shouldn't be a solutions provider because if you provide a platform and there's developers out there that, you know, you don't need it's not, it shouldn't be as complex going forward because you're you're making this easier by putting this just in the AWS platform and you know just easy to develop on. In a way, you're right. Um, so we advanced. We want to make sure that all hardware works with us. So we simplify. And we have good partnerships with uh, companies like Keegan and others where we cooperate as part of the SoftBank family to simplify hardware. Um, we also are moving towards the application. But what we do is we allow IoT solutions developers to develop their end customer solution based on our platform. We do not, so that means that, for example, we're very attractive to the lighting industry, to the uh, utility industry, to home computing uh, or home appliances industry. Why? Because there are tons of companies there that are developing digital solutions towards the end customer. Mm -hmm. We do not serve the end customer. We serve the industry. 
So just pick one of those customers and just you know give the audience some sense of exactly what your how the sales cycle went and what you're selling to them and what services you're providing. Great example. There's a company in Romania that came up with a fascinating idea, a company called Flashnet. They built a control unit that turns a street light without making too many changes, neither to the pole, nor to the feet, nor to the bulb, which is very important for cities, into a smart street light. Now, this company came to us and said, every time I deploy this, and they've got projects all over the world, in the Middle East, in Latin, in the US, in Europe, Every time that I deploy this, actually, it becomes very complicated because I need to negotiate with all these carriers. And therefore, sometimes when I answer an RFP, I can't give them firm commitments. Isn't there a possibility to co-develop with us a TCU, so control unit, Mm -hmm. that is already connected? And when I send it out, I have no more worries. So that's exactly what we've done. They now send out these TCUs around the world and they're winning projects because of this. And they've been able to hire their billings towards their customer because they include the connectivity. My customers, Flashnet, they have all the cities as customers. And we are now working together with their software developers to optimize the firmware of this TCU to increase the functionality of their street lighting proposition. So you're then getting paid two ways there in in terms of you're getting paid development revenue and then you will get as they as they change these these each one of these lights out as they sell to the end customer you're going to get that connectivity revenue as well um actually our commercial philosophy is pretty straightforward when customers confine their trust in us and they say listen each light bubble the light bulb that gets sold they pay ten dollars to us yep our software is including including future development Because we believe each time we work with our customers to optimize our operating system, to optimize our solutions, we share that with our customers. So all that development stuff you talked about for that particular customer is effectively in part just to enable them now for you to get this $10 a month in revenue. And then what is typical? And then behind that, obviously, you are your connectivity is going to um, rely solely on cellular connectivity or will you also use satellite or LoRa or other connectivity options? So first of all, our network has been designed in such a way that it can ingest cellular as well as LoRa and satellite. Mm -hmm. Um, As a matter of fact, the customer just spoken about have blended uh, okay. uh, networks where they sometimes need to use LoRa um, and sometimes need to use cellular. So in our conviction, it is about being able to give the most efficient connectivity to the yeah. customer. Uh, if it has to be cellular, we'll take it, but we also blend in the other technologies. And what's your highest margin among those three connectivity options? Assuming you're always going to get $10 for the 10-year life. Cellular is uh, the most uh, effective for us because uh, we don't do a, let's say, a LoRa-specific project only. So we always do the blend. Yep. And quite frankly, why do, why do our customers buy from us? Because we have the ability to connect in over 100 countries in many cellular networks in the way we just described. So it's 100, just is, really, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, we believe it is essential for our customers to be able to ingest satellite and LoRa as well because Understood. we don't want to, yeah, something this is what we do for our customers. So is a hundred countries enough and, and how much of that is driven by DT and, and you know, I know there I don't know if this is announced or not, but I guess you, you do have coverage in China, right? Which is obviously important. Um, like is this on the to do to do list for you to get more operators to increase your global coverage in order to have people feel comfortable about developing on your platform? Yes. Uh, so first of all, Deutsche Telekom is a very strong partner of ours and it is uh, a unique partnership where they are a shareholder of once, uh, but they're also a supplier. We utilize uh, SIM properties from Deutsche Telekom that allow us to address a their domestic markets because they've got you know, networks in multiple markets, as you know, in the US and Germany, two very important ones, and but more. But also they allow us to use their roaming uh, deals with other carriers, which gives us a great footprint. As a matter of fact, we will announce soon that we're widening our uh, footprint because while 100 countries sounds like a lot, it's not enough. You need to be somewhere north of 150 uh we want to try and get there with Deutsche, but we are also expanding with other operators. Uh, we're in discussions with SoftBank, of course, who have a very interesting angle on Asia. Um, we also have uh, discussions with other operators to continue to expand our footprint. Got it. And then in the U.S., for example, obviously T-Mobile is the obvious partner, but what if AT&T came to you and, and just offered you a much better deal? Are you Is your relationship with T-Mobile such that you can't entertain other connectivity options? Well, first of all, loyalty goes in both directions. So if AT&T said, can I do it instead of Deutsche Telekom, our answer would be very politely, no way. Okay. Um, because uh, we have we have come where we are today, Mm -hmm. much in thanks of an enormous trust that Deutsche Telekom put in us, giving us investment money, giving us access to their networks, to basically to self-disrupt. I actually thought it was quite visionary from Alex to say, operators, you can't handle this space. Therefore, right. I will. And then Deutsche, to, to Deutsche Telekom to invest in Alex and his company to allow him to do that, I thought mm -hmm. was, was, was very, very advanced at the time. Um, that said, uh, AT&T uh, is an interesting partner for us because in the USA, you need more than just one network. And therefore, we do use AT&T because our customers don't want... Let's take an, again an example with this smart city lighting. Yeah, they don't want 90% of the light bulbs to work. All of them need to work. Yeah. So we have we have actually good relationships with carriers across the US. Right. I mean, that's different though. That's that's just, you know, in markets. And I'm sure Neville will tell us that his network will work everywhere that AT&T does. <laughs> so that will never be required. Um, but but to your point is that like, it, so it is a close relationship with T-Mobile. I mean, that, that theoretically could hamstring you if for whatever reason, as an equity owner, they don't want to lower the rates and the market rates go down. But it sounds like, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a positive relationship. Does, does that does that extend to um, higher bandwidth applications? For example, you know, AT and T in their eight in their IoT division, um, I think to I think with Mercedes or someone will also offer Wi Fi connectivity to the consumer. I think they might have done something with Tesla as well. I could be wrong on that. Um, probably wrong on that. Um, but but is that part of the? Sir, obviously, that's not something you could sell for ten dollars. <laughs> um, but yes, is that part of the arrangement? Well, I just need and to I double check because my 
internet connection just faltered a little bit. Can you can you hear? Uh, me yeah, well? I can. Yeah, we heard everything. You 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 came out once or twice, but overall you're you're doing well. You need to switch over to T-Mobile five G. Frozen. I'm not sure if it is on my end or your end. And I'm not getting text texted by anybody, so now you're frozen. Now he's definitely frozen. You're back. Um, and so are you. You okay. just had, you have frozen there for a little bit. I said you should, before you left, I said you need to switch over to T-Mobile 5G home, I guess, because you must be I'm on a cable wife. connection. <laughs> I'm a Wi-Fi in a WeWork office. I'm just checking. Now it looks fine. Well, that's cogent then. I that's don't know what happened issue. now. It was a bit of a scare. <laughs> I got most of your question though. Um, listen, AT&T has a very powerful and I'm very respectful of what they do for cars. Uh, but in a way, cars are the cell phones of IoT. Why? Because car usage that they do set apart the telematics, having Wi-Fi connection in a car and so on is pretty much use, is the same usage pattern as a telephone. And therefore, it is a perfect use case for the big operator. Vodafone is great in that space. AT&T is great in that space. Deutsche Telekom is great in that space. Mm -hmm. uh, we today focus on the low ARPU um, uh, okay. use cases because operators cannot effectively address that market. There's an enormous need for it. China has actually proven that. Yeah, There's not a lot of people know that, but two out of every three connections in the world in IoT are in China. Mm -hmm. It's one of the few countries where the economics of an IoT connection work in favor of- But I, would, I just would have thought that if you're part of the value proposition, well, two parts of the value proposition are A, you know, the lower IT costs, right? And then B, um, the ability, the flexibility of development that there's a lot of shit that can occur in a car, right? That a developer could have fun with. And the only difference would be your financial arrangement with your operator, which is primarily DT and, and, you know, in China. Um, so like, why, why not just have another connectivity option and then utilize those same platform dynamics? It's, it's something that we're absolutely looking into because okay. you're right. If you look at the way we've built our network, the fact that it is very efficiently built, hundred percent cloud-based, you could compare it in a way what AWS announced with DISH. There's no reason why at some point we would not be able to address that market. Sure. Um, that said, um, there is, there's a beauty in focus and our focus today is address that market that is more or less untapped Understand. and by the way, provides much higher margins. <laughs> That's fair. So then um, when I think about, let's say, let's pick on Verizon for a second. So Verizon with their smart city things, they, they're doing the selling this internally. Is there any competition? Let's, let's just focus on T-Mobile for a second. Is there any competition within, is there an IoT group within T-Mobile that's selling IoT connections? Or are you basically... The even if someone in in T-Mobile Enterprise or Deutsche Telekom Enterprise is selling something, it's going to go on your platform. How does that work? Have they just purged that area and basically, or you're the platform that that DT and it's all of its companies are using, or is there kind of some competition between your your some of your connectivity partners and yourself? 
we're in different phases of evolution in the in the partnership. Uh, we're most advanced in Deutsche Telekom because we started in 2018 and the German market and the European market, the coexistence between Deutsche Telekom and once is, is longer and therefore the, the relationship has matured. And it ended up, uh, it's never an end game, but where we are is exactly as you said. There is a part of the market that Deutsche Telekom realized they cannot effectively address or at a loss. And we are now their solution for anything that is low power, um, uh, low ARPU or small band, because we can handle that connection for 10 years for $10. They would not be able to do that. Is the same true for T-Mobile? We are trending towards this because today T-Mobile does not have such an offering. They have the high bandwidth offering. Of course, if you sit on a treasure trove of uh, Spectrum, you'd expect them to go after... I mean, it doesn't sound like you need a treasure trove of Spectrum for these types of applications, though. You may just need low band. (laughs) Yeah, but that's exactly the point, is T-Mobile has, and rightfully so, focused Mm -hmm. on their strength, 5G, low latency, high bandwidth. Yes. Therefore, we are actually in discussion with them to say, listen, why would you try and utilize that to build up a, a small band offering? We have one. And uh, where, while that's not done yet, uh, that's exactly where we intend to go. So do you think Vodafone at some point comes to this realization and either goes to you or to someone like you that's developing a platform that sits within AWS? Because A, they can still be the front-facing sales channel to the enterprise customer, but lower their enterprise costs. It's it's not that easy for them because you can't be partly an operator. Uh, when you have an existing IoT unit and you're wired into the IoT uh, yep. and the accounting systems to take it out is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but I do see competitive reactions, which I actually think is good because it widens the market. I think it's interesting what Telefonica is doing. It's interesting what KDDI is doing with Soracom um, and Transatel with um, with Entity Docomo. Um, so we, we do see um, uh, more companies moving into the space that we uh, like to think of created, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good thing. It's good competition. It's confirmation that we're onto something. When do you think operators that mindset changes? Because again, I, there just seem like similarities to what I'm seeing with with what Dish is certainly willing to do with AWS because they're nowhere today. But so obviously they can pretty much open everything up. Um, like Verizon, I think would be hard to do that AT&T. And I think what you just described with Vodafone and the IoT space is, is similar. At what point is the pain of development platforms that sit on an open stack at, at AWS force them to make that change? Yeah, it's difficult to predict. Um, like I said in the beginning, it happened to operators in messaging. Yeah? Then it happened to them in unified homes. Yeah. It's happening to them in IoT as we speak. I These don't are know. great parallels. I mean, that's how you open up. That's why you took this job. But like, why won't that happen all the way up to the carrier level? Yeah, actually, even further. I mean, it's not even me taking this job. Mm-hmm. This very thesis is the reason why SoftBank um, and the other investors took $50 million and invested into once. Mm-hmm. And let me uh, let me add another very interesting statistic. In the last four years, the average CAGR of dedicated IoT units inside operators was 25%. Great. From the over-the-top IoT players, it was 40%. Mm-hmm. 
the market share of the over-the-top IoT players has gone from 8 to 12% in the last three years. So that tells me it's happening again. And when you look at the, the space, because you're not in the device space, you're not in the application mm -hmm. layer. So if you just look at the area that you're targeting with connectivity, how do you size that market and what do you think that growth opportunity is? So, I mean, it's always interesting to size the IoT market. If you look at the analyst uh, of the financial community and they chuck everything together, hardware, applications. Yeah. To make a big, big popular number, to, or big yeah, number to, to create a headline. It's actually today already north of 300 billion. Um, mm. Now, honestly, that, 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 that amount means nothing to me. Let me try and bring it down. At this moment, the consensus is that the cellular... Um, IoT market is $10 billion and it is growing for the next three to five years with a CAGR of 16%. Mm -hmm. If I put a an, 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 an device number on it, um, there's about 2 billion cellular connected devices out there at the moment. And that is set to double um, by uh, 2025 to roughly 4 billion uh, connected cellular devices. And I'm like, okay, that's good because that means we don't have a winner-take-all play here because if I take 1% of that, yeah, I mean, I quadrupled my business. So, so let me just pause for one second. If people have questions, you can toss them. There's everyone knows how Zoom works. So put it in the chat, Q&A, whatever, and we'll try and get to them. But when you when you talk about the 2 billion cellular connectivity, it brings up a you know an important kind of um, you know part of this, which is you know, given the DT relationship, is NBI NBIOT or, or wherever the the 5G is going to take them with the next four, because I know that everyone in the, in the operator world is very optimistic about the future of NBIOT with 5G. Um, is it, can it be still competitive with all applications with something like LoRa um, or other lower power technology alternatives? Um, it has definitely the potential, mm -hmm. um, but I believe the cellular industry has a bit of a tendency of standing in their own way. Um, I believe that we need to look at the TCO of having a LoRa uh, connection and us need to be conscious that we need to compete in the same TCO and don't ask too big of a premium for cellular. Mm -hmm. I believe it's promising because the cost of hardware of narrowband and CATM has gone down. There is no doubt in my mind that low power networks have a great future. What needs to be happening though is the operators need to come together and realize that this is not a moment to protect your home market. This is the moment to do easy roaming between them. Don't try and, 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 and fool each other by, by installing minimum fees and then end. No, make cellular omnipresent everywhere so that you don't create the space for unlicensed to start creating economic viable alternatives. They've got everything to play for. Okay, so let's shift to, to Amazon. And, and you know, one of the things that kind of stood out to me in one of your presentations was I think you have a, a free SIM for a year through Amazon. I don't know if that's exclusive or not, but um, that it comes with um, a certain amount of data and SMS messages. It doesn't auto renew, so the person doesn't think they're going to get screwed after a year. So talk to us about kind of, you know, the multiple layers of the Amazon relationship that you have and why they're important to you. Yeah, so I think that proposition that we have out there 
shows the confidence that we have in. You just our- detail that proposition just to make sure I have it. Correct. Yeah, no, you 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 nailed it. it it's exactly that. Uh, we would say to customers that are in AWS now, our two platforms, AWS and Once, are fully integrated. Mm-hmm. That means when you're a developer and you're working in the AWS suite, S3, and you use compute storage, we're like, okay, yep. if you can swipe in compute, you can swipe in storage. Why can't you just swipe in connectivity too? Mm-hmm. It's a very simple vision, difficult to execute, but it was done which basically means when you're an AWS customer and you want to order a bit of connectivity, Mm -hmm. then you can. Now, what we noticed is there's this suspicion when people order connectivity. So what we said is, forget about that. We know that we have a good proposition. So we took a bit of a bet and it's working out very well for us, where we basically say, listen, why don't you just swipe in the connectivity Utilize it either through the AWS sockets or through our uh, platform. It's the same. The APIs underneath work the same. Utilize it. We trust that you're going to like it so much that you're going to stay with us. If for whatever reason we did not impress you enough that you want to stay with us, we're not going to penalize you. Then please go somewhere else. Is the, disco- is the discovery for the developers such that they're they're just sitting there and developing in AWS and they just look for connectivity and they see you in the quote unquote library and swipe you in? Or is it more of you have marketed this thing to the person and then they're like, okay, I'm going to go look for once and put like, how does that, how has that worked in, in reality? Well, I, I'd love to sit here and tell you how brilliant <laughs> we've done this, but actually the opposite is true. I, uh, not too long ago, I said to my marketing team, it feels a little bit like we're selling shoes in wholesale in Whole Foods or that I'm selling a vegetarian <laughs> disc in a steak restaurant. Connect- connectivity uh, and- in AWS is shoes and Whole Foods. That's a, that's a, that's a great. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, people in Whole Foods will probably still want to buy shoes. They just never intended to go there and buy a pair. Yes. So and, they, do, uh, do they come across you there or how did, how do they know that there's shoes there? Well, actually, to be quite frank, I haven't figured that out yet. Okay. Uh, we're, this is one of the areas that we're thinking about because people don't expect to swipe in connectivity without consequences. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest challenges for us is brand awareness, proposition awareness, because we are selling connectivity mm-hmm. in a, as software. Uh, and 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 it's kind of what Netflix did. And I, I have an, an, a lot of respect for that. Netflix also, they said, listen, you just take your subscription. You can cancel any moment. Yeah. And that actually, we today, we have churn lower than 1%, way lower than 1%. We have yeah. hardly any churn. So we feel very confident. But we need to we need to be able to attract more eyeballs on our product, um, and and motivate people to start using it. Again, we what we're fighting is the, the the perception of when you buy connectivity, there are consequences. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we try and change that world. Well, there's consequences, I'm sure, in time and development and everything else, let alone the money. So one of the things that I noticed on that sheet was you charge extra. For eSIM, why is that? Because I would have thought that that would have been less than rather than more. Yeah, the, the problem with eSIM, so a, a EUICC uh, uh, enabled SIM, is that there are still too many costs associated external to us by actually executing the swap. Um, so, Such as? 
such as uh, now the, the the providers of platforms of EUICC, such as Thales or uh, Egan and so on, they have a price model that allows you to build a virtual model of a SIM. But when you actually execute it, you need to tap into whatever transactions take in the back and you pay for an IT fee. So as a so matter of something, you, so that sounds like you're basically you're charging because you're outsourcing that eSIM functionality. Is that something you're going to think about either acquiring or building internally? Yes. Okay. Uh, because we actually we want to get to a place where again taking ultimate freedom in in uh, cellular, we want customers to be with us because they want to be with us, not because they can't move anywhere else. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest problems in uh, in IoT projects is I need this to work for seven to ten years. It needs to be cellular connected, but we're very afraid that after a while, the operator uh, is going to triple the price or something like that. So we are developing a product offering where they don't have to. Our customers don't have to worry about that, and it doesn't mean they want to change. They just want to have the option to change without prohibitive cost. So as a matter of fact, we are trying to create just what you said. The other thing I noticed on that sheet was saying you had blockchain on a SIM. Is this? I mean, I've heard of companies um, that are that are developing where you basically have a crypto wallet associated with every SIM that's issued. Is it that, or is it something different? We haven't tokenized uh, the blockchain on the SIM. Uh, on the SIM. So basically, what it means is, yes, we have uh, applications that you can put a blockchain on a SIM. Why? For authentication reasons, for security reasons. So if you look at IoT, um, you've got millions of deployed sensors. These sensors are attaching to devices. Now, what is very important for our customers is that you can make sure that these devices that they are attached to are indeed the devices that you wanted to attach to. Mm -hmm. So if you blend the identity of a device, which could be anything, could be a serial code, could be anything, to the identity of the the SIM, which is always a unique identifier, and then to the identity of a chip that is associated. Now you have multiple identities, you put them in a blockchain, and now you start to string together a very secure list of authentication probabilities. Or possibilities, rather. Now, that is where we started with. It's not going to stop there, though. Uh, There's an an interesting trend towards utilization of blockchain in a big way in IoT. It started with security, but I do think at some point it will get tokenized and it will start to become able to do financial transactions. Frankly, we're not quite there yet, and we have quite a few other things to do. So I don't think we'll be moving into that space anytime soon. Got it. And then the other kind of part of this was, and I think part of the Amazon relationship, maybe not, maybe it's just your own development, um, doing automated authentication. So, and that was, I think that you were push, pushing that as as a potential or, you know, one of the value add. So how does that vary to how an operator would do it? Because I would think that at this stage, 2021, most authentication would be audited. Is that not the case in the world of IoT? Um, so unfortunately not. Um, authentication and activation are probably the two most critical but also difficult moments in bringing to life an IoT sensor. Uh, one of the things that sets um, uh, once apart is that they have found a way to pre-activate the SIM before it even ships. And that is, I call that the Uber moment. I'm not sure if you remember the first Uber you ever got into. I'm sure when you got out, you reached for your wallet. Yeah. 
Um, and actually, as a matter of fact, two weeks ago, I walked out of a taxi and I actually forgot to pay. So it was kind of funny the guy was going on. Right. Anyway, keep that in mind. What we do is once when we ship our SIM, our customer receives the SIM, they put them in the device, it immediately works. Now, we can do that because we don't have these type of systems that operators have that the moment you activate the same, you tracker, you trigger an accounting record and needs to be a billing relationship and then end. Again, most of these IT systems of operators weren't designed with IoT in the back of their mind. Yeah. And you don't want to ship around consumer sims that already work. Somebody gets the envelope, sticks it into an, uh, a phone and, and off they go. That can't yeah. happen. So I'm not saying that operators did it the wrong way. They just did it for another use case. Yep. Now, we weren't bound by those. So what we developed is a way to completely Uberize, let's call it the payment, um, that for us, you don't have to do. You can actually activate the device in the cloud. So you don't have to do a physical handshake yep. with the- uh, Which is, the, that's the norm currently, doing you know, doing the physical, got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to use it to do it in layman terms. And then what, and then what about like, when I, again, when I think about IOT solutions, which we talked about before, where if you're simplifying it, maybe there's not as much need for design, but there are things that are like device provisioning at some point there has to be a device and sometimes enterprise customers would like their IOT solutions provider to manage the devices themselves, taking returns. If something breaks, fixes, is, is that, going to be an element of your strategy or are you focused on staying more at the platform level at this moment we're focused on the platform level because the skill you need to have to start logistics of devices Correct. kind of indicate that you need to provide the full solution uh, core is doing that as an Correct. example uh, right, so does that, that does that impact your ability because core then would would argue i guess if I'm doing all the device stuff, if I'm doing all this extra stuff, then I can then get them on my platform and have with my, with my connectivity partner. So um, how much does that, because, and then the, the argument would be like, if I'm a, the, the guy at the enterprise or the woman at the enterprise that's developing the solution, like I've never dealt with devices before. So this is one of those critical things that I want one point of contact. How, how much do you think that will impact your ability to kind of grow your, your business? Well, interestingly enough, there, there's kind of two types. Uh, there are companies that actually specialize on device handling, logistics, mm -hmm. stocking, building, and, and, yep. and. They just need to digitize them. Those are perfect customers for us because mm -hmm. they have all of that in place. They just need a digital version of it. Yeah. Um, and those uh, very well suited for us. But then there are companies that say, listen, I need a complete end-to-end -end patient monitoring system. And I need to I need to source the device. I need to build it. Yep. I have an app and so on. Those customers probably in this case Our would core. be better served by core. There's a there's a very natural coexistence. We 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 overlap at times, of course, but they are more solution driven. We are more horizontally driven. So that's I mean, first of all, I love an answer like that because nine times out of a ten, you're going to get someone that's going to say like, "Oh no, we can be all things to all people," and you're comfortable enough in in what you're doing that you don't claim to say, "Oh no, that person's not going to need." So, uh, yeah. thank you for that. Um, but it's a good segue to I think the final question, which is like when you look at the when you I think you talked about the sixteen percent growth in the market that you're looking at. Um, is that more or less than what we've seen historically? Because I think there's certainly some mentality of like, 
IoT is talked about and it might not have lived up to these, you know, grand revenue opportunities. You know, t- talk a little bit about like how did that how that growth compares to history, why that might be different, and then like beyond like what may, what turns 16% to 25%? Like what what's the upside scenario in this space as we move away from operators and we have developers developing a lot more interesting stuff on here? Yeah, it's interesting. So IoT has consistently been underperforming the guidance, <laughs> if you were to say, because yes. it was always going to be 20 to 30 percent, and it never done it never done less than 12, but never more than 16. Yes. Uh, that is because, quite frankly, we've made IoT too complicated. Uh, operators across the world don't work well together. Uh, cellular connections aren't friendly enough. There's too much. We just made it too difficult. And I'd like to think we need to look at ourselves and not at the market. Um, that said, there are not that many markets out there that have consistently grown with 12 to 16% for the last five years. And That's the true. tendency, if anything, is slightly more, but I don't think it's going to double. So you don't uh, see some big, big inflection. You're just like, look, 12% is great growth. And if I can just play in this steady fifth, mid-teens growth, let's call it, and take yeah. share... Yeah, that, that's actually, if I put the investor head on that we used to justify doing you know, 50 million investment in once, uh, there are two things very attractive in this market. Number one is it is not a market that needs to grow at 30% for us to be interesting. It's actually already quite interesting in solid double digit, 12% territory. And second of all, because of the geographic nature and so on, and there's not that many players, it's not yeah. a winner take all market. Yeah, as I said, if we take 1% of the global growth, we will have quadrupled in three years. We're like four times our, you know, yep. four times in, in three years. We're, we're, now we're looking at exit territory. I mean, absolutely attractive for us. So what what is the end game then? I mean, is it you grow the revenue up, the operator swallows you, Twilio swallows you, Amazon or micro, maybe Microsoft who's kind of I mean, I don't know, maybe we didn't even talk about like, how does Microsoft fit into this? I mean, they bought MetaSwitch and it doesn't seem like they're as involved. It seems like everyone wants to build on Amazon in this in this kind of new world of telecom as opposed to Microsoft. Yeah, okay, so those are two questions in one. Yep. Um, so Amazon versus um, Microsoft, uh, in my opinion, is a question of broader appeal versus a deeper appeal. Uh, AWS is very attractive because of the simplicity with which you can buy storage and compute. And they have a very interesting monetization model that they provide a lot of microservices. But now they want to make it simple to buy connectivity as well, whether it's IoT or or even broadband connections. So yeah, so very broad appeal. Microsoft uh, is probably a bit stronger in everything that is um, uh, production control because uh, actually that's a Windows environment when you connect with low latency IT, they do very well there. Mm-hmm. But that's a more vertical. I don't see them horizontally too big. Yep. In terms of endgame, first of all, I don't want to be swallowed by anyone. <laughs> but, but I'd like to think that there is something of a reverse play. Um, I don't think we should ever be integrated into an operator. Okay. Not because I don't like operators, but uh, they have great brands, super distribution, the cost structure is wrong. You, there's a reason why we're outside an operator and can go faster and at a lower cost. 
So I think an acquisition by an operator, um, I'm not so interested in, but a stronger cooperation so that operators realize, well, maybe we should stop doing IoT ourselves and actually do more IoT through once. Yeah. days, we're open. Um, Partnership is very likely to increase with AWS. We like them. Um, I'd like to think they like us, but most importantly, they've got great people, incredible developers, and therefore we love their technology. And by, and by definition, they wouldn't own this because this is just one of the pieces in their like this is this just drives the success and the revenue of all their products. So exactly. And we like strong partnerships. I'm I'm less favor of you know doing partnerships with everyone and then for lack of a better word, you call it an ecosystem. For me, that means you have no strategy, right? I'm friends with everyone and then partners yeah. everywhere. And because it's I don't know what to do with it, I call it an ecosystem. That's not how we roll. This has been great. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover or that you wanted to highlight that, that we did? No, I, I, I thank you for, for very refreshing angles that you took. Uh, the one message that I would like to say is that we realize that cellular connectivity is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. IoT is about software. Let it be an application play Let's make sure that we bring cellular in an easy to consume way to the market so that we can focus on the virtualized networks that we need so that IoT in the end is an application with global reach that works everywhere. I mean, it seems I, I couldn't agree more. And it seems like it's not only IoT as an application, but maybe connectivity more broadly becomes an application. It just be it is this is this is this telecom world between the operators and the infrastructure vendors, that's a tough nut to crack. Less so for IoT, where I think they're happy to bring them in. Um, more so, I think, for overall. But I think it feels like it's inevitable. Absolutely. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about our partnership with Deutsche Telekom that just has widened with SoftBank because now we have two very big operators, although we are invested in by the SoftBank Investment Fund, not the operator. But when I am very encouraged uh, by our partnership with Deutsche Telekom uh, because they have realized as one of the first that we can do things that uh, they can't, but we also realize that we wouldn't be where we are without them. And that's a nice partnership. I like that mutual dependency. That's perfect. All right, great. Thank you very much. And thanks everyone for joining us. And this will be available for replay if you'd like to tell your friends about it. And we will be posting it to our podcast feed for those of you that don't receive our podcast, just send us, a, send us an email. It's a private link to our podcast and we get you set up with that as well. Thank you, Evo, and have a great week, everybody. Likewise. Thank you, Walt.